J.T. Crowley is Talking Books. On this show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. They'll give you their take on the writing process and how to create the secret sauce of page-turning deliciousness. Let's get into that magical mixture of the art and science of creativity. Here's J.T. Crowley, author of The Smart Kids and your podcast host. Hello, I'm J.T. Crowley, and I'm delighted to have on my show today Stephen D. Jones, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Kansas City, Missouri, which was founded in 1855. Stephen has served at his present church for close to nine years. But we're not here to chat about the history of that particular church, but we are going to touch on maybe another one. But we're here to talk about his book, Galusha, Crisis and Courage in a Civil War Pastor, which is, everybody, truly breathtaking. Stephen was a former pastor of the Second Baptist Church in St. Louis, Missouri, another historical church founded in 1833. And it was while he was rooting around the church archives there, he came across a book written by a former pastor by the name of Galusha Anderson, which was published in 1909. This book by Galusha Anderson intrigued him. So much so, Stephen decided to research into the background of Reverend Anderson. And what he uncovered prompted him to write this book about the pastoral life and duties of Reverend Galusha Anderson. Stephen and his wife, Jan, grew up in the Baptist church community, and both of them have devoted close to 50 years of their lives to the Baptist ministry. They have two children, Brian and Janelle, and they dote on their two grandchildren. You see, everybody, with grandchildren, you can hand them back. (laughs) Not with your own. Stephen has lived in several northern U.S. states, going wherever his pastoral duties within the Baptist ministry were required. And like his predecessor, Galusha Anderson, his passions about racial equality for all, no matter what ethnic background they have or where their origins came from. Stephen is the author of nine books, and the one we're going to talk about today is a sense a biographical writing of Reverend Galusha's Anderson's life and his work and how he worked in the society and the community back in the late 1850s, early 1860s. And so for Stephen, Reverend Galusha, this is someone who he considers to have played a significant but largely unknown role within the Baptist movement ministry. So a lot of the source of Stephen's book comes from Reverend Galusha's Anderson's own book, A Border City During the Civil War, and a few selections from Hitherto Untold. So let's get on and ask Stephen to come onto the show to talk about his epic book, because this podcast is about him and his book, not me. Waffling on. Stephen, come and join me and talk about your book and Reverend Galusha Anderson. Thank you, John. Good to join you. You're very welcome from Kansas City. 
That's right. Missouri in the United States of America, everybody. There you go. Stephen, let's just talk about Galusha Anderson to start with before we get into the book, okay? Because I think this is important. Galusha Anderson was an American theologian and university president. He was born in 1832, Bergen, New York State, and died in Wenham, Massachusetts, 1918. He was a man of great significance, as far as I can see. He graduated from University at Rochester, as well as Rochester Theological Seminary. He was, I believe, the first pastor of your church in St. Louis. And he was a professor of homiletics, and that is the art of preaching, everybody. At Newton Theological Institute, he served at various Baptist ministries across some of America's northern states. He held various professorships at several universities in spiritual departments and was president of Denison University, Granville, Ohio. A busy man, you could say. Now, I do note here, Stephen, that it's in the history of um, Galusha Anderson, he says he was born in Bergen, but you say he was born in Clarendon. And I know that they are just two little, small little towns not far apart from each other in New York City. So I thought, huh. Anyway, so my question is, was this man a man who you feel influenced you greatly, so much so that you decided to write a book about him and his work? Sure. Well, I had never really had heard of him before I went to St. Louis. And uh, as you say, I was, um, they have an archives room in a, in a church with a lot of history. And I was going through some of that. And that's where I encountered this book uh, that he wrote uh, called A Border City During the Civil War. And um, I, think every, I think many people have kind of a crucible moment in their lives where lots of things kind of... Uh, you get tested and pushed to the limit and um, your true metal comes out. And I think that's what happened during these, uh, it really only six years that he served in St. Louis, um, but they were crucible years for Galusha and uh, for several reasons, personal uh, as well as pastoral. And uh, I was so taken by what happened to him, what happened to his family uh, that I, um, read the book several times. And after I read it, what he was trying to do was to write kind of a societal history of St. Louis during the Civil War, which frankly, uh, this many years later, some of it's interesting, some not. But I began to realize that underneath that uh, history that he was trying to write was his own personal story. And it just kept coming out. And I don't think he intended it. Um, I think if somebody had told him you're writing a lot about yourself, he might have edited it out. Thank goodness he didn't. And uh, what I did was picked up all those little personal vignettes and put them together and uh, found that it, it told a very striking story. And I thought one that deserved to be told. OK, let's have a look at the book then. Uh, let's turn to the book. Galush Anderson was a pastor in St. Louis during the American Civil War. And of course, we all know that the Civil War was an internal uh, war between the Northern Union States and the Southern Confederate States. Yet parts of um, Missouri, in particular the city of St. Louis, managed to keep some form of equilibrium 
whereby the Union and the Confederate supporters lived side by side, shopped in the same stores and even worshipped in the same places. And it's against this backdrop, everybody, that here we find the, the, the pastor short, the ministry of Galusha Anderson. He operated in very challenging times and trying to encourage the spirituality of the community and keeping a balance at the same time. Do you think he did a good job, Stephen? Do you think he managed this, he balanced this spiritually and compassionately? Well, I think a lot of what happened to him in St. Louis threw him off balance, but I think he, he uh, eventually uh, restored his balance. Um, when they first arrived, they came with one infant son. And um, not long after they got there, that son died. They had two more sons. All three of them died. And in the third son, his wife also died. So he came as a family man. This was his second pastorate. He was in Janesville, Wisconsin, which is about as different from St. Louis. It's going to be very uh, small, very rural, small town kind of thing, and pretty far removed from the Civil War. When he moved down to St. Louis, I think he and his wife both realized that they were moving into a city where slavery existed. And uh, even though it was um, a, a supposedly a neutral city in terms of, as you mentioned, uh, Confederate supporters and Union supporters lived side by side. Um, but I think the personal loss of uh, it wasn't um, he wasn't into St. Louis more than a year or two before he lost his entire family. Uh, just through natural death causes, there wasn't any, uh, anything else causing it, uh, that he lost his wife and three infant sons. And um, I think any of us um, who would have gone through that kind of loss can imagine how horrific that was and uh, how destabilizing that would be. Um, but there's another, there's another script to this going on for him, and that is the Civil War. And uh, the pastors of St. Louis um, largely had a, a kind of a quiet, unwritten agreement between themselves that they would stay away from the topic of the war, stay away from the topic of, of slavery. And um, uh, so they, they did. And uh, Galusha was the first one to, um, to actually address slavery from his pulpit and the first one to... Uh, condemn the confederacy the secession from the nation that was represented by the southern states it's interesting isn't it you know the history of america and i suppose the role that the church found itself in because when you are a, you know a pastor you it's not about you so much it's about the community it's about the people that you serve yep it is and that's what you know a church is about it's not about a building it's about a community of people and his actions um split his congregation in half um when he mm. took that stand um he lost about half of his members the confederate members uh left and there was quite a bit of negotiation back and forth and all of that but the net result was that he not only lost his family but he also lost half of his congregation Okay, let's uh, look at the book. I, I want, there are several headings, Stephen, that, I've, that caught my attention. And the first is bedroom conversation. And I suppose many of us uh, see a person of the cloth um, 
sexual relationships as a hush-hush thing, especially as some religions in the world practice celibacy. Why did you put this scene in? Was, um, was it to, to cover off the personal loss? Uh, because, you know, like any people, any, you know, um, body, they have um, sexual desires. Mm-hmm. So my question is, was this an important section for you to put in the book? I had to do something to define Selena, his first wife. And um, because um, the losses of her three infant sons, their three infant sons hit, hit them both uh, really very seriously. And she was in such weak uh, emotional and spiritual and physical condition by the time they had their third son, she couldn't uh, survive the, the childbirth. So I needed to introduce her in some way. And um, I, as I got to know Galusha through his book and writing, uh, he came across as a very human person. I think his wife uh, was a little bit more wound tight and um, much more formal. And I just wanted to put their two personalities side by side because they were getting ready. I, I handled the death of their sons and her death very early in the book. And I just felt like I couldn't do that if I didn't introduce who Selena was. And so um, I thought um, they're, they're different people. I think, I think he was a more human and um, relaxed person. She a little bit more formal and wound tight. And um, I, I would suspect that meant that they went through the grief of their first and second son in very different ways. And very often, um, pastors and priests and religious people find that they soak up all their community's issues and problems, and yet the community very often doesn't see that the pastors, the ministers, the deacons, like that, are going through issues as well. Right. And that's why I wanted to bring this in. Right. It's very challenging as a pastor to, to share your uh, struggles, your weaknesses, your failures, um, and expect that all members of your congregation, some will be able to handle that very well, but can you expect all of them to be able to do that? And I went through a, a challenging time in, in my uh, life, and uh, I know how hard it is to, um, you know, allow your congregation to be a part of that process. Uh, he did. Uh, I He first thought he maybe should just leave St. Louis since he'd lost so much and was so in such pain that he didn't even know how to, how to climb into the pulpit and preach, but uh, anymore, but, but he finally decided to stay at the encouragement of of leaders of the church and, and to go through the the pain uh, with them. Uh, And there hardly are probably no one that goes through life without struggles and without loss and without, uh, crisis, uh, but when you're in a public role like a politician or a pastor, uh, community leader like that, it it, it introduces a, an another challenging uh, part of that of that struggle. Another layer, yeah, I totally agree. Yep. I found um, your um, section, your chapter, that Lincoln's words are very poignant. Um, do you think Galusha would have heeded those words? 
and adapted them to his own ministry in order to sustain um, a certain amount of unity in the community. He closely lived and worked in the community so much so you thought, I wonder if he cherished those words, Lincoln's words. And so do you think the words that, you know, they were said then, were they relevant at the time? And do you think they're relevant today for both Galusha as a pastor then and you as a pastor today? Well, um, there could hardly be a more divided and partisan society than one that goes to war, um, literal war, uh, against itself. So when Lincoln was president, it was a very partisan era, and uh, the two sides eventually broke apart and felt like they needed to be separate nations. Uh, and Galusha was always a great supporter of Abraham Lincoln, um, supported him uh, in his voting and in his uh, pulpit. And of course, as he took a uh, position against slavery, it was a position that Abraham Lincoln took as well. So the two of them were, were in sync and in line. Yes, I think he would have taken Lincoln's words very seriously. And uh, that's why I included them, because um, we can all relate to Abraham Lincoln, likely our greatest president. Uh, he forged in the crucible moment of American history. And um, I, think, uh, I think these words, uh, we are not enemies, but friends, as he goes on and talks about that, um, were very meaningful then. I think they're very meaningful today. As you likely know, America is already, again, uh, divided in a partisan way in a, um, between the two political parties, and it, it's gotten violent, um, and uh, not, not, not certainly like the Civil War, but it did on January 6th get violent. And um, it's, um, it, 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 we're, we're in a divided time, too, and there, there is some real concern in the United States about whether we're going to be able to hold our democracy together. And um, most of us think we will, but it, it, it's only going to take courage to, to, to hold it together, and it's the kind of courage that Abraham Lincoln represented. That's a fascinating, that's a fascinating insight. Stephen, um, could you tell the listeners the moral story and I'll say the moral story, behind the, the woman snuffer. Because she was racist when you look at it. She was racist. You know, she was having none of these people coming into her house or into her community. But the story, that part of the story goes on to talk about refugees that came to St. Louis and how Galusha and the Christian community reacted to them. This is quite an important story with all its underlying messages, isn't it? It is. It is. Well, it, it's kind of a hilarious story. and He, he tells it mm. uh, in that kind of light as well. Uh, she was a refugee from, uh, from Alabama, and uh, she came up to uh, St. Louis to escape uh, the war or whatever. Uh, we don't know exactly why she came, but she came as a refugee. Thousands of people poured into St. Louis because it was a city um, that had both Confederate and Union supporters that lived side by side. And uh, she was uh, definitely a, um, a very uh, poor woman from a background. The deacon told her, if you go over and visit her, 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 uh, her apartment is in an uproar. It's filled with odor. It's, she's messy. Her hair hasn't been combed in five years. Uh, she was quite a sight to look at. 
and the deacon urged him not to go. He said, I wouldn't go see her. She's kind of a mess. Um, he said, if she wants me to come, I will come. So he goes up to her second floor apartment, I think it was, and knocks on her door, and uh, he takes in this sight. And she was a woman snuffer. She snuffed uh, some kind of a concoction that she had from Alabama. And so she had that pipe in her hand at the same time. So it painted a very colorful uh, picture. Uh, she said she wanted to join a Baptist church because uh, the Baptist faith is very strong in the South. And uh, she wanted to do that in uh, St. Louis. And um, in the midst of the conversation, he wanted to alert her to the fact that they, they had an African-American member of their congregation. And when she found that out, she was uh, just absolutely um, appalled and uh, not going to join a church uh, with someone like that in the congregation and uh, told him to get out. And um, even when he got down to the street, she raised up the window and told him that he was uh, uh, destined for hell and uh, yelled it out on the street as loud as she could. So it, it's a hilarious chapter, I think, and in the book and um, that happened between Galusha and, and this woman. He never encounters her again, as far as we know. Uh, but she wanted no part of a congregation that had uh, black people as members of the church. And um, then it did that. That chapter does go on to talk about the refugees who poured in. Most of the refugees who poured in were were white, but uh, a goodly number, particularly from Missouri because the only place in Missouri where uh, African-Americans were safe was in St. Louis. The rest of the state was pretty pro-Confederate and, and slavery was practiced and widespread in the farms of Missouri and that sort of thing. So often when the African-Americans could break free and escape from their masters, uh, they would come to St. Louis. And so they had both kinds and the churches there became very involved in um, resettling these refugees and helping them make the best of their lives. Um, if the, a lot of them that came did not know English or did not know how to, to read English. And uh, so they would give them English lessons to, to be able to read and write. And um, so that's kind of the part of his story is how, how involved the churches of St. Louis were in helping white and black refugees uh, gain a new life. It's interesting how you um, describe the refugees when you said, oh, they were refugees from Alabama. Well, that's just across the state, because nowadays we, we um, see refugees as people who have come from another country, not another right. state. Uh, I was just interested in that little comment. They said, oh, they were refugees from Alabama. I thought, oh. Oh, they had refugees from even closer from Kentucky and Tennessee and uh, neighboring states, Arkansas, um, because the fighting was, was going on in all of those places. And um, it, perhaps they're, I, I don't know the stories of any of them, but perhaps they, their homes were burned or their, their lands were taken or something like that. And they just had to make a new start someplace else. So St. Louis was a, was a popular place to come because there wasn't fighting in St. Louis, but the fighting was all around it. I found um, another part of your book extremely interesting. And this is you know, Galusha and the trouble stirred by his prayers for President Lincoln. Now, we've already touched on that, you know, he liked, you know, Abraham Lincoln. So here we go again. And I chose this story for yet again, you're drawing attention to 
a divided congregation, rich, poor, unionists and cessationists. And it's pointed out to him that some of his deacons are staunch unionists, unionists, I'll even say. And of course, like in many churches, deacons uh, play a significant role in those churches. And so it's how Galusha maintains the status quo to keep his congregation unified. And he was said, well, he didn't always do that. But do you think um, as a pastor today and looking back as a pastor in the role those days that how important a role that deacons play in that, you know, min- in, within the ministry of be whatever faith, you know, that it is. That's why I brought this uh, bit in here. Galusha and his deacons and modern day deacons. Well, his struggle was whether he as a pastor should um, speak out against human slavery. Hmm. She felt was morally repugnant and evil and the whole institution evil and it needed to be um, ended. And um, he felt like that if he kept mounting the pulpit Sunday by Sunday and ignoring the elephant in the room, uh, that he just couldn't do that and have any integrity. So he finally um, decided against uh, the advice of his chief deacon um, that he would, um, he would, on that one Sunday night, speak out against slavery and against the southern states for uh, seceding from the United States and, um, and condemn the Confederacy. So he did, uh, and um, the result was what the, the, the deacon feared, which was that... Um, uh, the Southern supporters in the congregation would leave, and they did. Um, and they, in the chapter I think you're referring to, they, they did send a committee of Southern supporters to meet with him in his office and with the chief deacon and to say that if you won't address this topic anymore, if you'll keep quiet about slavery and the secession, we'll come back into the church, we'll take our place. And um, I think he it was a tough moment for him. Uh, he obviously would love to have those people back and uh, have his congregation united again. But if, if the cost of that was that he had to muzzle uh, his own sense of what was right and what was true, it was too great a price to pay. And so he spoke to them out of love. Uh, he, he was deeply involved with all three of them. He knew them well. Uh, They had been friends, uh, but he had to say, I'm sorry, but I cannot, uh, I cannot muzzle my voice. I am called of God to speak the truth and to speak about justice and slavery is unjust and I just can't do that. And so they, they walked out of his office uh, even more hurt and uh, torn apart uh, than, than before and hardly any of them ever came back. That's why I wanted to bring this chapter in, because I thought it was so important. Um, and for me, uh, moving further you know, down the book or you know, through the book, we come to um, unwelcome peace offer. And this it highlights the difficulties Galusha had with trying to be a spiritual guide and yet desperately trying to keep the balance between the unions and the cessationists those that favoured a withdrawal from membership of a federation, you know, or body, especially a political state. 
So again, we're coming back to this him, Galusha, doing this balancing act, you know, between being a spiritual leader and dealing with community issues. All pastors face this, don't they? All pastors face this. You can be quiet and, um, and just go along, which I think obviously that's appealing because you don't uh, stir the waters. Um, you just make peace uh, with a small P. And, uh, and sometimes you just have to look the other way when you think something should be addressed, but you don't think you have the support in your congregation to do that. Um, one of the differences might have been, and it's the timing. Um, and uh, I've, I've noticed this, and I've, I've heard other pastors speak of it as well, that if you've been in a congregation for, say, 10 or 12 years, and you've buried the dead and baptized the little ones and performed the weddings and stood beside people on the hospital bed and that sort of thing, you have a lot more latitude to address uh, difficult and challenging topics. If you're in your second year of your ministry where you're just getting acquainted and trust isn't, uh, isn't as deep, which is the case with Galusha, um, it, it's harder and, and, and it's more divisive. Uh, had, had he been the pastor to those Confederate members for 10 or 12 years and then the Civil War came up, uh, he probably would have had a deeper relationships with them, deeper friendships with them, deeper trust with them, and they many of them might have been able uh, to make the journey with him. Even uh, I've had people say, "Pastor, I don't agree with you on this, but um, I love you, and I'm I'm going to stay right here, and I hope you are too." Um, but I've also had members say, "Pastor, I don't agree with you on this, and I can't stay." And, you know, it breaks your heart when it happens. Uh, no pastor enjoys uh, that happening. But um, you just have to decide how important the truth is, how important justice is. Uh, uh, we do follow um, a rabbi from Galilee that was fairly outspoken. And they was. Uh, and if we uh, decide that we're going to um, reshape him into something that's much more acceptable and that we see a lot of that in America with some of our our big uh, churches prosperity gospel churches and things like that where uh, they're reshaping Jesus into what they want him to be uh, and he begins to look like a white middle-class American rather than who he really was and Galusha didn't want to do that he uh, he in his day he faced that same challenge that every pastor does face and he decided, no, he, he had to speak the truth. He had to take a stand. And um, I, think, I think this book would be helpful for almost any pastor. That's not always going to be the answer. Sometimes you do have to say, well, I'll bide my time and uh, stay here a little bit longer and, and see if we can address this at another time. But um, for him, the Civil War was raging. There was battles all around, and uh, he felt like he had no choice but to speak the truth to his congregation and to his city. It was a huge um, change. And uh, soon after he did that, in the next year, year and a half, the Episcopalian, the Methodist Presbyterians, some of the other pastors began to join him. Not all, because there were Confederate supporters among the pastors as well. But uh, eventually, uh, the Union pastors of St. Louis uh, stood and, and, uh, and took the stand. But he was the first, and his was the congregation that split wide open over the issue. And again, you know, we, we go to um, the reenacting a slave owner from Mississippi, and, and 
the message again is about you know his stance on slavery and we've already touched on this but i just thought this was a nice little chapter to put in there just to reaffirm his stance on slavery wasn't it it was yeah i think uh, this this couple, he was a banker, and uh, they invited Galusha and his wife over for, for dinner uh, soon after they arrived, and they were bragging about their two slaves. Their names were Wash and Manny, very typical uh, slave names. And uh, they were bragging about how loyal they were to their family, to their two little girls. They would never uh, betray them or uh, run away. And as soon as the uh, war was declared between the north and the south wash the man was the first slave in st louis to run away from his slave owner uh and that's the that's the um the mm-hmm. part about this chapter and finally uh they actually locked the slaves in their house they the slaves did stay in the house but they locked the house at night with a key that they couldn't get out uh and uh mammy actually uh put her her uh, sheets and things in a, in a long uh, rope and uh, jumped out the window uh, with that. And, and she ran away too. So they were at the beginning of the chapter bragging to their pastor, their new young pastor and his wife about how loyal their slaves were and how much a part of their family they were and all that kind of thing. And uh, not, not too long after that both slaves uh, ran away because obviously it was an inhumane situation and the couple couldn't even, couldn't even recognize that. Yes, it's, it's got uh, it's a chapter with a tale of two woes. I, that's what I thought when I read that chapter. You know, um, Stephen, when I um, look at the lives of both Galusha and yourself, I can see certain you know, similarities. You were both pastors of the same church um, organization. And, you know, that was in St. Louis, because that's where you both, you know, practiced your um, ministry. You both write and wrote books. Um, Galusha had to deal with racial discrimination, social injustice, civil disorder, conflict back in the 1980s, 50s and 60s. And you're as a modern pastor, you know, still heavily involved in the life of your church, still having to deal with racial inequalities, divisions within the communities you serve. You both went to the same seminaries. Do you see yourself, Stephen, as a modern-day Galusha, having to address time-only issues that still exist today as they did in the 1860s, albeit in a different format? You know, Black Lives Matter today, racial tension, rich and poor issues still there. Has America moved on? Wow, what a question. Um, well, in That's why I asked it. <laughs> <laughs> In some ways, yes, and in many ways, no. Uh, you're right that the, uh, the racial inequality is still uh, very, very much a part of our um, culture as a nation. Uh, racism is systemic in America, and um, it's, it's an ongoing challenge, and we're, we're going through it now with uh, more conservative voices wanting to ride out slavery so we don't teach our children because it would make them uncomfortable to know 
you know, we had slavery in our country and to write out um, uh, advocacy for African-Americans, that sort of thing. So it makes the white children feel better. So we're still, we're still dealing with it in very real ways. I, I don't want to put myself quite on the level with Galicia, but I do, I do think that the issues that he faced, uh, you're absolutely right. I can see right through the issues that I have faced in my life the challenges I have faced with congregations, the social issues that I've had to address um, exactly um, the, the same as, as he is, not, not quite as dramatic with the civil war going on around me, but there is a, a partisan war going on in the United States today. It's even more uh, pronounced perhaps now than any time in my 50 years as a pastor. And um, it, does, it does take courage to address that. You try not to be partisan um, and, and to keep partisan politics out of the pulpit, but you still need to address the uh, issues of justice and equality um, for women, for all minorities. Uh, uh, and you, those are still issues that have to be addressed and you can turn the other way and, um, and not and avoid them uh, and keep keep so-called peace, although I don't know how much peace that really keeps, or you can address them and, and take the lumps. And um, I find Galusha to be a, a very uh, significant uh, model for me, even a hero uh, that um, I can follow. And I wrote the book because I didn't write it just for pastors, because I think the same is true for lay people. Um, Everybody faces injustice and, and wrong in their lives. And the question is, do you just go along or do you stand up for the truth? And uh, for pastors, it has very real consequences. But uh, in the jobs that lay people have when uh, someone's not treated right because it's a woman or it's a black person or it's an Asian or whatever, um, you, you, you're still faced with the same choice. Are you going to stand up and, and speak the truth? Uh, or are you going to kind of duck down and, and go along? And uh, I think I think reading uh, Galusha and his his courage during the Civil War uh, can be very helpful for us today, uh, for people of truth and people of faith uh, to, to know what to do. And I don't I don't think it offers a a easy prescription. Oh, you should always do such and so. I don't I don't think it does that. Uh, but in fact, he was only there a couple of years, had just started with his congregation and felt like he had to take a stand. And we, we see the consequences of that. And what's next for Stephen D. Jones, both personally and literary wise? Well, I just left my little seven month granddaughter at home this morning. We're taking care of her today. So that uh, helping raise our two granddaughters is a, is a key part. Of, uh, I didn't realize how important that would be, but you are, are so right. When you have your own kids, you never get a break from it. So we are the break for our daughter and her, her partner uh, so that we can give them a little time off and we get some time with their granddaughter. So that's, that's certainly important. And I'm, I'm co-leading a congregation in Kansas City um, that uh, has been hurt and touched by the COVID pandemic as every congregation has, I suspect worldwide, but I know it most in the United States. Um, many of our people have still not come back. Uh, everyone has gone on to streaming live their services. So it's awfully easy to sit in your jammies at home with a cup of coffee and you don't have to yeah. dress up or anything and just sit and watch. Yeah. 
and um, that's that's good. I don't. I'm not against that, but it does change the nature of um, organizations that rely on face-to-face sense of change the dynamics. It does. So we're we're dealing with that uh, and all of the challenges that came out of that, and some possibilities that have come out of that. Uh, so. I've had 50 years of experience as a pastor, and I have never been through anything like this before. This is a whole new, uh, new thing. So I've, I've got to be on my toes uh, as much as any other younger pastor, uh, just learning and trying to figure out and navigate these difficult waters and to help my church come out on the other side stronger and better prepared to serve in the future. That's, that's a tall order, and uh, that's what we're involved with. Any books in the, uh, the pipeline? I don't have any right now. Um, I did uh, just write another book called Learning Jesus. It was published uh, a year later than Galusha. And um, so I don't, right now I'm, I'm kind of in, in, the, in a break, but we'll see. <laughs> I like that, in a break. Where can people get your book from? Easiest way is Amazon. It's, it's listed on Amazon and it's very easy to order. You just go and type in the title or my name or whatever. It will pop up. Uh, two or three of my other books will pop up too. And um, that's, the, that's the easiest way. You can get it from the publisher, Trafford, but uh, probably it's easiest to get it from, from Amazon. So this is a book, not only for pastors, it's a book for everybody to, to read and get an insight into the fascinating life of a significant person, but not largely known, Reverend Galusha Anderson. Stephen Jones, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk to you about yourself and your book, Stephen D. Jones, everybody. Thank you, John. Oh, it's been an absolute delight. I'm JT Crowley. Thanks for listening, watching wherever you are in the world. So until next time, stay safe. Mm -hmm.